You make me crazy. Uh, today, uh, you are in the right place. If you ever struggle with saying no to someone that you know you really should say no to. Or maybe you have a difficult time setting boundaries in your life and you're finding yourself agreeing to do things that you really don't want to do today. Today, I believe you're in the right place. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want us to look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is found in the book of Proverbs. And we like we, we like we like to do here, I like to take a, a passage from the Old Testament and a passage from the New Testament. And I want us to stand together in the honor of reading God's Word. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 25 will be our Old Testament passage. And then in the New Testament, we'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 4. And we're going to be reading out the New Living Translations. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 25. The Bible says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. Did you hear that? I just, I want you to read that with me. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. You should, if you have your Bibles open, you can underline that. We're going to be focusing on that this morning. But trusting the Lord means safety. All right, let's look at the New Testament. First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, and he says these words. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Our purpose is to please God, not people. This morning, I want to talk to you on the topic of living for the approval of one. Living for the approval of one. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I just ask that in this room there would just be a, a greater tangible reality of the power and the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will live forever. I thank you, Lord, that you've commissioned me and you've called me to be truthful and proclaim this word to your people today. We thank you, Lord, for every person that's here. We believe that you called them, that you loved them. God, that you designed this day for them to hear the truth of your love and of your grace. Now, I pray for spiritual ears to hear, but I pray for myself today, God, that you will give me a mouth to speak. I ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty and your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. My name is Eugene Smith, and I am a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> 55 years of age, just an honest confession. I got to tell you a little story this morning. It was, uh, back in the 1970s, there was a very famous basketball player. His name was Pistol Pete Maravich. Younger generation doesn't remember, but if you're older than probably 45, 50, you remember this guy's name. He was a very, very famous basketball player, and uh, he died very mysteriously, very strangely. He was actually playing basketball. He'd, be, he'd become a Christ follower in his 30s, and at the age of 40, he was playing basketball with a group of Christians in California. And one of the pastors that he was playing with was a guy by the name of Dr. James Dobson, and, and he just keeled over and died on the basketball court. And that's, you know, I mean, people die, we get that, we understand that, but the way that he's connected to my life is that in 1988, somewhere about the middle of 1988, I was working at a restaurant in Tucson, Arizona, and I was driving home. 
And on my way home, I would listen to the radio, and, and there was a guy that I loved to listen to. He, he was, at that time, he was the most famous talk radio pro, uh, uh, guy in the world. And he, he was based out of San Francisco, California, at a radio station called KGO. Those are the call letters of it. And, uh, and I would listen to him at night coming home from work, and he was just really intriguing. He loved sports. I grew up, I loved sports. And, and uh, he was, I mean, he was just a phenomenal interviewer. He'd interviewed some of the most famous people in the world. Even today, I still think he, he does does interviews. And, and I remember listening to him, and I was so intrigued by the story because he told this story about Pistol Pete Maravich, and now he was a friend of his. And he was telling how that he had passed away that day. And then he went on to say, but something really strange happened. He, he said, when I got home today, he said, I was opening my mail, and there was a package from Pistol Pete Maravich. He said, when I opened the package, inside of the package was a Bible with my name on it. And then he says these words, spooky. And then it just faded off and went to commercial break. And at that moment, when he said spooky, something inside of me said, I needed to pray for Larry King. I needed to pray for Larry King. Can you put the picture there? There you go. Thank you. This is the guy. If you don't know who Larry King is, this is an old guy here. He's still alive. He hasn't died yet. Larry's still going. But I began to pray for Larry King. I mean, I was, had been a Christ follower for a couple of years. My wife and I were living in Tucson for one year. I was on my way home from work, and I just felt an overwhelming burden to pray for him. And I began to pray. And I mean, I prayed probably 10 or 15 minutes, and I was asking God to save him and God to do a work and reveal himself to him. And that was all good. And I, I thought it was kind of strange that I felt impressed to pray for a person like this. Like, I'd never been impressed to pray for a TV personality, a movie star, anything like that. It never really crossed my mind. But when I began to pray for him, God was doing something behind the scenes that I didn't know. Two days later, I went to work, and I was standing there, and the, the restaurant was about to open, and I was, uh, the restaurant was located up in the foothills of Tucson, and it had a, a wonderful view, a wonderful expansive view of the city, and I was looking up uh, over the city as the, the sun was going down, and the lights began to sparkle, and, and as I was looking over the city, uh, I looked to my right, and about from here to that monitor, Guess who was standing there? Come on. Lo and behold, Mr. Larry King himself was standing like 20 feet from me. He was standing there, and he was drinking an adult beverage. And at that moment, I had a decision to make. I felt inside of me that God had me pray for a reason because God wanted me to tell him my story. And I remember in that moment, I had a decision to make. Maybe you felt this tension before. Maybe you felt this tension where, where you felt God prompting you to say something or, or to do something, but you were afraid of what someone else thought or how they would accept you. And in that moment, I remember I walked over to him and I was praying, God, give me the boldness. And I got to him and I stuck out my hand and I introduced myself and I couldn't say anything. I froze. And I know, no, that, that would never happen to you, but that happened to me. <laughs> I got paralyzed in that moment, and I talked to him about sports, but I could never tell him my story. I could never do it. I remember leaving there. I was so demoralized. I was so discouraged. I was so depressed. And in that moment, what I realized, that the approval of man, the approval of a person was more important than my obedience and the approval of God. Now, that was 30 years ago. I mean, that opportunity still comes in my life today. It'll come to your life when you go to work. You'll have moments where you'll have to make a decision. Who are you living your life from? I mean, have you ever found yourself doing something to impress someone that you really don't like because you really want them to like you? I know no one in this room has ever done that. Have you ever laughed at a cheesy joke 
And you know that it was a dumb joke, but you laugh because you didn't want the disapproval of the individual. Or maybe you've done this. Maybe you, you've, uh, you've listened to music, or you pretended like you were on the, on the know on something, and you had no idea what the individual was talking about. You know what the Bible calls this? The Bible calls this the fear of people. People pleasers is what we would say. And the fact is, inside of all of us, based on our temperament and our personalities, some people have more of this than others, but all of us have a desire to be liked by people. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6. I want you to see this verse. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them and doing what indulges them. Now, here's the deal. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be approved. As a matter of fact, you live as a little child, you want your parents' approval. What I've discovered in my life is that so many issues that we walk through and have to navigate through and so many emotions and feelings really stem from our childhood and trying to find approval from our parents. You know, the Bible says that we are to show honor to whom honor is due, and so we are to please our parents. We are to obey them. You're to obey your boss. I mean, if your boss asks you to do something and it's not sinful and it's in the context and the confines of your job description, you should do it. I mean, it's just right. It's the right thing to do. You should seek to do that. But here's the deal today. Here's the deal today. It is easy for us to slide from just wanting or wanting the approval because it's the right thing and needing people's approval for our own self of identity and self-worth. Rick Warren says it like this, and I love what he says. He says, listen, there are people out there that can care less what anybody else thinks. They don't care about anybody else. They only think about themselves. And the problem with that is that they're a narcissist. And so there is a part of us we understand today we need to be kind, we need to be honoring to other people. But there is a problem. There is a problem in our life when we cave on integrity, when we cave on principle, when we cave on who we are, when the God who created us to be a certain way, we're not that person. There's a problem with that. I want to talk about that just for a moment. I want to talk about some of the problems associated with us being a people pleaser. The first thing is that it causes me to miss my purpose in life. When I am people pleasing, I miss God's purpose for my life. Look at our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Our purpose, everyone say, my purpose. Come on, say it loud. My purpose is to please God. That's your purpose today. Your purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. God alone knows the motive of my heart. If I'm always trying to be what other people want me to be, I can never meet those expectations. Here's the deal. When I'm trying to be what someone else wants me to be, I can't be who God wants me to be. I just can't. You can't do it either. Either God becomes bigger or people become bigger in our lives. I love the story of King David. You know, David, in spite of his foibles and his failures and his faults, when you read the New Testament, when you look at David's life in the New Testament, man, it never talks about that. And here's the deal. I thank God that I'm not the same person that I was 30 years ago. I mean, I asked God to forgive me. When I had that moment to share with Larry King and I didn't do it, I grieved over that for a long period of time and I beat myself up. But I got to tell you today, that's not the same person. And this is what, God doesn't hold my sin against me and God doesn't hold your sin against you. You failed in the past, okay? We get it, we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of God's grace and goodness. Everyone said amen. Amen. But here's the thing about David. His identity, 
His identity was in pleasing God. He made it the priority of his life. He was 17, even as a teenager. Come on, his brothers had a dream for his life or his brothers had a plan for his life. Even the king, King Saul, had a wonderful plan for his life, but it wasn't God's plan. God had a plan for David, and that was to be a giant slayer. And at the age of 17, I love what David does. He stands before this great big Goliath. It's a fascinating story. He stands before this giant of a man who was taunting and tormenting and terrorizing the whole army, the whole army of Israel. But one little 17-year-old shepherd boy understood his purpose. He understood his purpose. And the moment that you understand your purpose in life, God becomes very big. And in that moment, God became big in David's life, and he stood before him, and that giant came down, and you know the story. But this is what the New Testament says about David. This is what the New Testament says about David served God's purposes. And when you were living your life and you're confined and trapped by trying to find the approval of other people, you cannot serve the purpose of God. David served God's purpose in his generation, and then he did what? He died. Pretty simple. (laughs) You have a choice to make. Whose purposes are you going to serve? I love this quote. The greatest day of your life is when you figure out why you were created. And then you can really start to live. The second thing that happens, the second problem that's associated with us being a people pleaser is that it keeps me from growing in my faith. It keeps me from growing in my faith. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 25 says, the fear of human opinion disables. It stunts our relationship with God. When God is big in your life, people have less power over you. When God becomes bigger, people become smaller. Their opinions become smaller. What they think about you becomes smaller. Allowing God to become big in our life. Because when we're trying to find the approval of people, trying to only please people for our sense of identity and worth, God becomes small. Our faith in God's promises become diminished. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5. There's some really religious people. These are good church-going people. I mean, these are people that went to the marriage retreat on Friday night, Saturday morning. They spent eight hours here at City Church, and then they rolled in here on Sunday. These are good church people. Come on. These guys are good church people. These guys lived a long time ago. They were known as Pharisees. And man, they were religious. Religious to a fault. They were so religious. I mean, they tried to keep all the rules and do everything right. But here's the problem, Jesus said. You try to get your praise from one another. You try to get the pat on the back, the good old boy, that away. Yeah, yeah, you say it right. Yeah, yeah. You try to get your praise from each other, but you do not try to get the praise that comes from the only God. So how then can you believe? How can you really believe? How can you believe the promises of God? God has so many promises. In the book, the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, 40 different authors. There are over 7,000 promises of God. Over 7,000. Whose opinion matters most to me? That's a question I have to ask. Am I more concerned about what God thinks or the fellow preacher down the street? 
Am I more concerned about what God thinks or my friends or my children or my coworker or my boss? Who am I going to put my trust in? So many times this sense of having to find people's approval or trying to please people comes out of a need of wanting that person to meet our need. Somehow something in us believes that person has something to offer that only they can meet in our life. And the fact is, there's only one person who can meet all the needs of your life, and his name is Jesus. Someone said amen this morning. When we have a people-pleasing mentality, our faith becomes weak and disabled. Not only that, it also leads us into a life of sin. It leaves us into a life of sin. Some people call this giving into peer pressure. Now, here's the deal. When I was a young person, I was a bad sinner, really bad sinner. You know what that means? I couldn't get away with anything. <laughs> I just couldn't. I went to my, my dad bought me a motorcycle. It was a little dirt bike. I was 16 years of age, and he told me, okay, this, this dirt bike, it's not licensed to be on the road. You can't drive on the road, so you know the first thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I mean, I remember my dad clearly looking me in the eye and saying, son, don't take this bike on the road. So the very first thing I did was take that bike on the road. I got no farther than 200 yards from my house. And guess what? Mr. Sheriff was sitting down at the end of the street. I couldn't get away with nothing. He wrote me like 10 tickets. I mean, he gave me a ticket for everything. He gave me a ticket for breathing wrong. I was a bad sinner, but what I, what I realized back my teenage years, my teenage years, I was, I was following the wrong crowd. The things that were important to me then, they were all, my priorities were all wrong because I was trying to find the approval of other people. But here's the deal, it doesn't just leave you as a young person. The things that are important to you and the values might change, but there's something inside all of us that wants to find the approval of other people. The Bible says it like this, do not follow the wrong crowd. Do not follow the wrong crowd in doing wrong. Don't do it. And it's easy to go down that trail. About 20-some years ago, there was a very, uh, a very uh, large publicly traded company in America called Enron. And the story goes that the guys at Enron, man, they were living large and they were making lots of money. And, but there was a big facade behind this organization. They were cooking the books. And there was a secretary that actually knew the whole story. She knew what her bosses were doing. She knew how they were cooking the books. But because of peer pressure, she could never say anything. As a matter of fact, she found herself getting sucked into the same vortex. But you know what? When that house of cards came tumbling down, when the feds came in and arrested all the leaders of that organization, she was hauled off to jail with them. You know why? Because she could never, never speak up and do what was right. She gave in to peer pressure in the moment. Why? Because she wanted the approval of her boss in that moment rather than doing what was right. I mean, the Bible is full of examples. The Bible is full of examples. Good people who in the heat of the moment compromise their integrity because of peer pressure, of not wanting to look uh, foolish, not, not wanting to think people to think a certain way about them. Think about Peter. 
I mean, think about, I mean, Peter's a classic example because we look at his life and, I mean, here's a guy, I mean, he's so brash and so bold and so confident one moment and the next moment, I mean, he's denying. Think of this, he spent three years with Jesus. He spent three years ministering with the master. He spent three years watching Jesus do miracles, heal blinded eyes, raising the dead, casting out devils, feeding multitudes of people, only doing good, and then even being empowered by Jesus to do those same things. And on the night that Christ was going to be crucified, when everyone had left him, Peter standing around a fire, one little girl, one little servant girl says, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? What are you talking about? He didn't do it one time. He didn't do it two times. He did it three times. But uh, Peter isn't the only guy. You, you see this example. I mean, you think of Pilate. I mean, Pilate's wife had a dream. She was warned by God in a dream that Pilate needed to leave Jesus alone. And he knew it. But when he stood before the crowds, Barabbas or Jesus, a known criminal, a man who was a known criminal, Pilate couldn't do it. Pilate couldn't do the right thing because the people wanted Barabbas. He had to please him. He had to please him. You think of a guy like Joseph. Joseph is, uh, is an amazing story, and God redeemed his story, but his brothers were cowards. His brothers were cowards. He was the 11th child of 12 of the son of Jacob. And his other brothers, 10 of his other brothers, plotted and planned how they could kill him. Only one, only one kind of said, hey, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into a pit. And then decided to sell him into slavery. Only, listen to me today, his brothers were cowards. They couldn't stand up. Not one of his brothers could stand up and do the right thing. How about the 12 spies sent into Israel? Only two of them. Hear me today. Only two of them had the backbone to believe the promises of God. The other ten, it's too big, too hard, we're too small, we're like grasshoppers. I don't know, what, what are you talking about? As a matter of fact, they, those ten were so persuasive that all the people of Israel, a million and a half men, probably three, three million people, would die in the wilderness because they didn't believe. Wow. But there's a guy named Saul. Saul was a king of Israel, first king of Israel. He was a strong man. He was a great warrior. He was not afraid of his enemies. He was a bad warrior. Bad dude, very bad. But he was, had a destiny. He had a mission. He had a purpose. He had a calling. And the Bible says that, that Saul, one day, God came to him and said, Saul, I want you to get rid of all the idols in Israel. But Saul was weak. Saul wasn't afraid of the person out there, but Saul was very concerned about what people thought about him right here. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible says, Saul confessed to Samuel, I've sinned, I've trampled, I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing people, so I let them tell me what to do. He was more concerned about what people thought than what God thought. See, in that moment, in that moment, Saul's heart was really exposed. He had the fear of man. He was more concerned about what people thought of him rather than what God thought about him. And that's a temptation and a test for all of us. I mean, you know, I look back to my high school days, and that seems like so petty and so small, but I got to tell you, as an adult, we still have that tension going on inside of us. We live in a culture that's not accepting of the message of the gospel 
The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, dear friend, friend, dear friend if bad companions tempt you, don't go along with them. So what do we do today? How do we do this? How do we break free from the people-pleasing trap of our life? How do we do that? You know what happens? We have to change the way we think about ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, My children, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way, the only way that you can break free from the people-pleasing trap is to have a new way of thinking about your identity in God. The only way that you can be the person that God has created you to be is have an understanding of a new you, who Christ has made you who God has made you to be, to have your new identity as a central focus and understanding for your existence of being, changing the way that we think. The fact is today, the truth sets us free. Believing the truth sets us free. Believing the truth. So how do we break free today? First of all, you gotta know this. You're not gonna please everyone. As, as a matter of fact, I can guarantee, I can't give you a foolproof uh, guarantee for success, but I can tell you for sure how you will fail every time trying to please everyone. You just can't do it. It's impossible. You can't please. I mean, God can't please everyone. <laughs> Come on. I don't know what football game, what's, what's the basketball, what do you got? What sports going on? right? I'm lost right now. What's that? We're doing baseball. What month are we in right now? But yeah, football. We got... Football's already over. We did the Super Bowl, right? No? I don't know. I'm lost right now. Listen, any sporting event takes place, two different teams, two different people praying, both praying that God would help their team to win. Someone's going to lose. Someone's going to be disappointed in God. No matter who you are today, no matter who you are today, someone is going to dislike you. And here's the deal. If everyone likes you, you're a chameleon. And they wear a mask, and that's not really who God created you to be. Here's a, here's a fact today. I don't need anyone else's approval to be happy. I don't need, come on, give God a hand. I don't need anyone else's approval to be happy. I choose today to be happy. The fact is you can't please everyone, and you don't need to please everyone. God doesn't expect you and I to please everyone. No matter what you do, someone will disapprove or disagree with you. But here's the deal. Disapproval doesn't have to destroy your happiness. Another person's disapproval of you doesn't have to destroy your happiness. There's a young pastor who's doing very well in our city, and lots of people have taken criticism to his style of ministry. And the other day I was praying for, I felt it imprompted. I, I was reading and studying and this young man came to my mind and I'm all, I always pray for people. I always pray for the pastors in our city because I know if the enemy can strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And I have a heart for the pastors of our community. I love all the churches in our local church. That's why we're city church. We are a church in this city and we're here to be partners with other churches in the city, bringing the message of hope to this generation. I love local churches. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And this young man has received a lot of criticism lately for his kind of ministry, his style of ministry. And I sent him this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in England many years ago, and he was taking a lot of criticism. 
I mean, let me tell you, if you're leading the pack, if you're winning in life, if you're winning in your job, if you are winning in your job, and you're doing your best, and you're succeeding, and God's favor is on your life, you're going to get a lot of arrows in your back. A lot of talk around the water cool about how you ain't all that. Because here's the deal. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be too angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> you're far worse than he thinks you to be. You know today that without Christ... Without Christ, we can do nothing. And Christ alone is our security. And Christ alone is our hope. Some of us have spent a lifetime of trying to please a person. Maybe it was your parent. For many people, our identity and who we are and the brokenness that we carry through life is wrapped in. We're trying to find the approval of a person. For me as a young man, trying to find the approval of my father, never feeling like I quite measured up. Maybe you've had that feeling. Maybe it's a mom. Maybe there's someone in your life. Here's a deal today. I'm sorry that you've had that pain, but you got to hear this today. You are not the problem. You are not the problem. They are an unpleasable person. You're never going to get them to find approval of your life, and you have to come to this place where you don't need their approval to be happy. Jesus said it like this. Come on. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 5. Your approval or disapproval of me means nothing to me. Whose approval are you trying to find today? Parents trying to find approval of their children. Workers trying to find the approval of their boss. Boss trying to find approval of someone that, that they know that they can never please. When Jesus becomes big in our life, the less you will feel the need to be approved by others. Jesus today wants to set you free from expectations that you can never meet. Jesus wants to set you free from guilt and shame and the need to have to be liked by other people. If you look to any human to keep you happy today, you'll be unhappy for most of your life. But here's the promise of God for you today. Here's the promise for God to you today. Isaiah says, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? God is your source of comfort today. God is your source of hope today. God is pleased. God loves you. It's why he sent Jesus, because he loves you today. God accepts us right where we're at, but here's the deal today. Every person that accepts this love will be changed. Every person who accepts the love of God will experience change. One thing about God, one thing about his promise. I love what the psalmist said. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. God holds you close today. God wants to hold you close. He wants you to know that he is your source. He is your helper. He is your healer. Next thing I want you to see today is that what seems so important now is only temporal. What seems so important now is only temporal. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says, The world and everything in it that people desire is passing away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. The world and everything in it, the things that you valued when you were a teenager, think about it. Think of, I think about my life, the things that I valued. I was so, I, I like beer bongs, babes, my bed, and a bank account. I mean, it's true. 
Oh, that's true. Those are the things that I valued in my life as a teenager. Those things have very, no, no, those things have no significance in my life today. I don't even think about that. Like my mind is, my values my, have completely shifted. What's important to me? The things that were so important to you last week. You think about the news cycle that we live in today. I mean, massive stories that seem like they would really just shake a nation, that, that they would be out there for months and months and months because there's such a demand for constant new information. I mean, you just got to know if you do something bad in a couple of days, it's going to be out the news cycle and no one's even going to remember. And that's how most politicians live. They'll say the darndest things because they know that in just 24 hours, some other politician is going to say the darndest thing. Right? I mean, think about the world, the things that are important in this world, they are passing away. As I've grown in my relationship with Christ, as a follower of Jesus over these last 34 years, something has grown in my heart. This understanding of my value and my identity is based on this one word. It's based on this one word. It's the word eternity. I live for eternity. How we overcome the people-pleasing trap is that we must understand that there is an attorney. There is a life in front of us. Jesus said that the things that are highly valued by people are worth nothing in God's sight. Because one day, one day, you and I will give an account for our life. One day, we're going to give an account for our life. In Romans chapter 14, Paul the Apostle says it like this. Each of us will have to give an, a personal account to God. Over my life, I've, had to, I've preached on many difficult topics, at least difficult according to the world's perspective, because they're not comfortable. There are things, there are values that we hold as Christ followers because we believe God's word, that in popular culture, they're not always palatable. You feel that pressure at work. You feel that tension at work. It's not that the questions are hard to answer. You just know that the answer that you're going to give, a lot of people are going to disagree with. I, I remember this like yesterday. It is, it's, it's a striking, poignant moment in my life. I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make about my faith. And I was in the workplace, and uh, there was one particular guy that just seemed to always have it out for me. I had gotten radically saved, gave my life to Christ, and I was doing my best to try to be a witness and example in the workplace. And this one guy was always trying to push my buttons. Always trying to push my buttons. Always trying to see if he could get me to cuss or try to do something, you know, to try to strike back at him. And I really had to make, I mean, every day I'd go in and like, oh God, help me just deal with Don Reiser. Help me just to deal with you know, one guy. And this guy was constantly, man, he was picking at me and putting me down and saying things. And he'd talk about my mother and my sisters. I mean, just all kinds of bad stuff. And I was really wrestling with how to do it. And, and I remember one day I was standing with a group of other employees and I wasn't even talking. And he just started the conversation with a group of guys like this. He said, so Eugene, tell me, this Jewish guy that you're standing next to, if he doesn't accept Jesus, he's gonna go to hell. That's quite a conversation started right there. I was in the workplace. I'm like, you know, like, okay. Well, first of all, first of all, Jesus said, that he was the only way to the Father. So I tried to, and you know, immediately he jumped on it and, and the conversation got difficult. And in that moment, then there was some tension and friction in the room. And, and over the next couple of days, he just couldn't let it go. And every time I'd see him, he, he'd bring something up, some snide comment. And one day, it was right before the restaurant was gonna get to open. It was about five minutes to six o'clock. And, and he walks over to me and he was just had fury in his eyes. 
And he goes, I just can't stand it that you're doing. I can't stand it. And he looked at me and he walks over and he grabs me and he like in a great big bear hug. And I'm standing there like this. I'm just standing there. And he grabs me in a bear hug and he picks me up and he slams me on the ground. I, whoa. Now, I had a choice to make, right? I realized that at that moment, at that moment, the approval of God was more important in my life. And it really shaped me. It really helped me to understand there are going to be some very difficult and challenging conversations that you're going to experience in your life. We live for eternity today. One day we're going to give an account for my life. Jesus said it like this. If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, I, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of him when I come in my glory and in the glory of my Father and of the holy angels. None of us like to feel rejected. None of us like the feeling, that, that hurtful feeling when people don't like us. But we have a choice to make. What are we living our lives for today? Are we living our lives for the temporal, for the fame, for the moment, for the approval of a boss, of a child, of a spouse, of, a, of an aunt or an uncle? Or a are we living for the moment? Are we living our lives for eternity? You have a choice. I have a choice. There's a greater goal in your life. There's a greater goal in my life. And here's the deal. The deal in our life is that we must make the choice today to live for an audience of one. I only have to please one person in my life. I only have to please one person in my life. When we find the approval of God, guess what? Everything else takes care of itself. I love what the scripture says. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse number 30, I don't try to please myself. But I please the one, the only one, the one who sent me. Jesus was sent by his Father. Jesus lived his life on mission and purpose to please him. And the moment we step into our, this relationship with Christ, that is what our, where our approval should come from. That's where we should seek to find approval and acceptance today. Now, here's what I have also know about my life, that it's a continual progressive love affair, and it's a continual progressive warfare. It's a battle, flesh and spirit, choosing what God wants versus what we want or what we feel like someone else wants. We have choices to make. Joshua stood before the children of Israel and said, choose you this day. There were some things that I've settled in my life over the years. I've been asked very difficult questions and hard things. I preached on difficult topics and things that people in our culture don't agree with. But I've had to make a decision and a choice in my life. Am I going to fear man? Am I going to fear man or am I going to fear the one who at some point has the power to destroy all man? Am I going to fear the opinions and the thoughts of other people or am I going to seek for the approval of the one who's given me identity, the one who's given me a sense of purpose and mission, the one who's forgiven me of my sins, the one who has set me free, the one who's brought deliverance and hope, the one who fills my, my life with the sense of a preferred future today. I only have to please the one. Because here's the deal today. We either serve God or we serve the idols of this world. The idols of popularity and being liked. And I mean, and so many things are wrapped in that. Money and success and sexuality. There's so many things that go into that. So many things. We choose that kind of life or we choose a God kind of life. Living our life for eternity. For an audience of one. In the Bible, there's three brothers three friends, Daniel, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and they made a decision to live for the audience of one. It wasn't an easy moment at the water cooler, the workplace with your family. It's not an easy choice, but you must settle it in your heart today. Today, I'm going to live for eternity. Today, I'm going to live for the purposes and my identity that's found in Christ alone. I'm going to live for the approval of one. I'm going to live for the approval of my father. In 1888, there was a young preacher. He was going for his ordination papers and, and he had to preach before, before five professors. There were three other young men that were preaching with him and they all gave their sermon. And at the end of the sermon, these five men would evaluate whether or not they would go on to ordination in their denomination. The young man's name was G. Campbell Morgan. And after he preached in front of these five men, they, uh, they would put a list outside the door of who, who passed and who was moving on to ordination. Later that day, he came back to see if his name was on that doorpost or on that door. And when he looked at that door, his name was on, not on the list. He was so dejected and so demoralized. It was back in the day of telegrams and he sent his father a telegram with one word, rejected. By the end of that day, he got a, a telegram back from his father. His dad said these words to him, rejected by men, accepted by God. Come on, rejected by what other people say, but being accepted by God. <laughs> Pastor Glenn made us, made us, Pastor Glenn encouraged us as a staff and team. We all read a book together by a man by the name of J.D. Greer. It was called The Gospel. And at the very end of this book, he walks through this prayer. Because this is the so what. This is our so what moment. This prayer, this is such a powerful prayer when it comes to understanding our identity. To understanding who we need to be in Christ. And at, this, at the end of our time of reading this book, we, we would actually, after every chapter, we would say this prayer together. I want to encourage us today, because this is our so what today. This is what I believe that God wants in our hearts. I want to read this out loud for you. In Christ, there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more, and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. I want us all to stand together this morning. I want everyone to look at the screen. And we're going to read this out loud. Because in this room, some of you, in this moment, you need healing in your hearts. Some of you tried to find your identity, try to find your approval. Then you try to find it in a relationship. You're trying to find it through your success in your work. You're trying to find it maybe through your child. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, we're all in different stations and places of life. But I want us all to say this prayer as a closing prayer this morning. Can we say this? Can we repeat this prayer out loud off the screen? In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy.